Good evening. Uh, I'd like to thank Jared and Quaid for opening with those verses. Uh, those of you who are note takers, we're going to be in chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, and in the passage Quaid just read, 13, 44 through 46. So I'm sure a couple of us have been on some sports teams or uh, a club or an event, and usually on these teams, you, you have to have some kind of characteristic or trait that they want you to have. Uh, I, during high school, I have been on a swim team, and part, part of the deal when you get on the swim team is you yeah, gotta be passing, because they want you eligible and not sitting on the bench. And then the other part of the deal is, when we go out somewhere or when we are at an event, we're supposed to hold ourselves with honor. We're supposed to treat each other teams with respect because we are representing Abilene ISD as a school district and as a whole. And this is not similar to how we are in God's kingdom. As citizens of the kingdom, we are called to have certain traits, certain attributes that the world can see. And Christ talks about these many times throughout his sermon and throughout his ministry. The most notable that I can think of right now would be the Beatitudes during his Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. These are attributes that he wants us to have. He wants us to show the world. Because Christianity is not just what we are. It's not just what we do. It is who we are. And if we're going to be who we claim to be, we need to act like it. In chapter 18, he adds another trait, humility. He zeroes in on it. And it's really interesting because when we look at this verse, 18, 1 through 5, we often think of the purity of children, the innocence, and we, we focus on that. I, I, I want to steer away from that and look he, at the trait that he talks about. He talks about humility. And he, he goes on to say that whoever shall humble himself like this child shall be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, what sets this trait apart? How does, it, how does humbling ourselves to this level make us the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, uh, just as now I'm just now turning 18, uh, I can think that over the time, under my mom and dad, I, you, you, you obey your, your parents' will, whether you like it or not. But you do it out of respect, of course. And I think this is what he's trying to get at, is that our humility, the way that we should humble ourselves down to is doing what is right, doing what we are called to do and being what we are called to be, even though it might not be what we want. And... How do we see this? How can it be the greatest trait? My mind goes to the crucifixion here. Christ, and during the transfiguration, when he was crying and sweating blood in worry, he didn't, it was, he was anxious. It was going to be pain what he went through. But he said, let your will be done, not mine. 
and he, he died for us and gave us salvation. And he didn't just do it begrudgingly, but with love. He did it with love for us and towards us. And this is amazing. Humility to the point of giving, putting everything you are aside for another person is the foundation of what love is. And love is one of the key aspects of being a Christian. So before I go any further, I want to address the kingdom come. I really think this should be revised to the kingdom is here and we are its citizens. As members of the kingdom, we are called to be ambassadors of God's word and God's will in this world so that others can see him, know him, or come to know him. And as ambassadors, Christ is saying that one of the greatest traits we can have is humility and in turn, humil- in turn of humility, love towards others. Because we are often the first part of the kingdom that people will see. So, and the kingdom is valuable. As Quay read in chapter 18, 44 through 46, the kingdom was so valuable that a merchant, and a merchant in this time would be a person of great wealth. He'd have maybe a ship, a couple of wagons, just stuff to trade. He gave all of it away for the value of the kingdom in this case, for the great value of the pearl which represents the kingdom. So, how, how is this value seen in the world? Well, it's seen through us. And oftentimes, and including myself, namely myself, we don't do a great job of showing it. We aren't the people we are called to be. Being the people we are called to be means humbling ourselves as Christ did. Humbling ourselves, putting aside all of our arrogance, pride, or just lack of wanting to suffer, really, and submitting ourselves to God's will, even if it's painful, even even if it means just not giving up something physical, but something of who we are, and confronting that within ourselves. Humbling ourselves to point where we care more about another person than when we worry about ourselves. It is through this that the light of God's word and God's will can be shown. And then the value of it, the value of the kingdom can be seen and known to people who are looking for it like the merchant or the people who stumble across it like the man in the field with the treasure. If we don't humble ourselves, then we cannot reveal God's love for those who are looking for it. We are called to be as ambassadors. We are called to be mirror images This is our purpose, and it is time that we fulfill it. As Chris says, let's be all in. Let's give everything. I'd like to thank you for your time, and may God be with you. Thanks, Levi. There's not a place I'd rather be on this side of eternity than right here, worshiping under the leadership of you young men. I just thank you for the work that you've put in, for the words that you've shared with us. I got to admit, yesterday, Levi and I met, and we were kind of talking over his lesson, and I got a little bit jealous 
because he has some cool stuff to talk about, and it made my stuff feel lame. And so I, I, but really, really what I saw and what was so encouraging was getting to sit down across my desk and, and talk with a young person who was, who was thinking critically about Scripture and, and digging in and seeing, seeing how it applied to our lives. I think sometimes we think the mark of mature Christianity is being able to come up with some sort of novel, clever idea. And the reality is what we need to do, what we need to learn to do is, is read questions, or read Scripture, ask questions, and think critically about how it applies to us. And sitting across my desk, I saw a young man doing that. Um, trying to figure out how God's Word needed to be connected to the church today. Levi, I appreciate that. Um, God's Word is everlasting from generation to generation, from culture to culture. I want to show you all a picture of something. Does anyone know what these are? Those are Jinko jeans. And when I was in junior high, I thought these things were pretty cool. I mean, I just, my memories are just flooding back looking up at the confidence monitor here, just picturing what I was going to look like when my mom finally broke down and bought me a pair of Jinko jeans and I walked into the junior high out at Jim Ned for the first time, what people were going to think about me and what they were going to see. Now, I eventually conned her into some sort of off-brand. I didn't get the name brand Jinko jeans because uh, they were too expensive. But most of the time, I was stuck with a basic pair of Levi's. Probably because sometimes parents just have to step in and protect their children from their own silliness, right? <laughs> mom will come back and watch this recording, I think. Thank you, Mom, for not buying me so many of the things that I wanted. You know, we have a lot of opinions about cultural things, don't we? Especially clothing. I mean, kids these days, right? <laughs> I obviously have not a leg to stand on because I thought Jinko jeans were cool. <laughs> so... Um, I'm so thankful, as I look back over my youth growing up, that I got to grow up at this place, a place that prioritized things that mattered and looked past the silly things that didn't, a place that forgave my youthful trespasses and encouraged me and ignored these peripheral things and proclaimed to me things that mattered. I want to put Psalm 71, 17 through 18 up on the screen. O oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Even to old age and gray hairs, the one thing that we must still do the one thing that we can never stop is proclaiming the mighty power of God to the next generation. I have to admit, this gets a little messy at times. We get confused about what is cultural and what is eternal. We get sidetracked by things like silly genes and perceived disconnectedness from both sides. But here's the reality. Those of you with gray hairs, and I look out and I see a few, you've You've seen things that this next generation has not. And the text says, proclaim it. And those of you with silly clothes on, sometimes you need to listen. And, and that's a good thing. But then I flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I'm going to ask you all to turn there. I'm not going to put it on the screen. 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 16 is what I'm going to read. 
And I look at a little bit of a different message written from Paul to this young minister, Timothy, and I see the things that he says because it can be easy to, to view the next generation as if they're children and then we just carry that attitude on into eternity and we never let them grow up in our minds. But Paul writes some powerful things to Timothy. Starting in verse 6, he says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. I look through this text and I see that that Timothy was being handed over some keys of responsibility. Timothy had been trained in the words of faith and good doctrine, he starts off in verse 6. And we see that Timothy had taken that training to heart. In verse 10 it says that his hope was set on God. He had his hope set on the living God. And then as we move into the most common passage in verses 11 and 12, he's told to command and teach these things. In other words, we have a young man standing up in front of people, teaching things and serving as, what does the text say? An example in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. So I look at these messages that the scripture lays out for us, and the reality is there's, there's a lot there. To the old people, it means that there's seasons of teaching and showing, followed by seasons of watching and learning. And to the young people, it means there's seasons of listening and learning, followed by seasons of working and serving. What I see is this picture painted of the cycle that never stops, this iterative back-and-forth cycle, um, a, a dance, you might call it, a beautiful dance that happens among believers that's never-ending, where the older generation leads and the younger generation follows, and as the older generation gets tired, the younger generation steps up to the plate and takes the torch, and back and forth it goes as we move towards maturity, raising up the next generation to faithfulness, to old age and gray hairs. You know, I love that last Wednesday we heard from Travis Smith at 91 years old, and this evening we hear from Levi Bryan at 18. Travis proclaims realities that few of us can see with the clarity that he has. And then Levi has been trained, and he stands ready to pick up those realities and carry them forward. And that's a pretty powerful thing to watch. But it's more than just Levi, of course, bragging on you a little bit, so don't get a big head. Stuff to respect your parents, right? <clears throat> tonight, tonight we are witnessing multiple generations of God's glory being proclaimed, multiple stages of handoffs and growths and handoffs and growths, and we see this complete, beautiful, unbroken chain of custody from the man who can barely get his knees to work to get him up to the podium to our young men who can barely see over it. As you will see in the showcase later this evening, this isn't just limited to our young boys who want to lead in the services. We are proclaiming the glorious realities of God to all of our children. That's what we do here at Oldham Lane, each with their special gifts, fanning them, fanning the flame, so that the body would be built up, so that we would all be edified 
and so that God's glory would be proclaimed from the rooftops, from generation to generation. You know, generationally, faith is being passed down, but as we look out to our culture, we see that there's a lot of brokenness that's being passed down as well. One of the beautiful realities of the redeeming work of Jesus is that access to the Father, access to, to this belief system, access to salvation doesn't require that you were brought up in it. Maybe there's someone here who is ready to start a legacy of faithfulness. Maybe there's someone here who is ready to leap in and continue a legacy. I don't know where you're at, but at this time we would like to offer an invitation to join the timeless, persistent, culture-smashing, generation-spanning body of believers, the Lord's Church. We stand here ready to baptize, to pray, or to support you in your needs. Come forward as we stand and sing.